you're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help you look, live, and love more like Jesus. Welcome back to the Trinity Podcast. This is one of our midweek episodes. We do these every once in a while where we just take some time, middle of the week, to riff on the passage from the previous weekend uh, so that we're continuing to meditate on God's Word together. And uh, this is kind of a, a first time we've done one of these where it's just us pastors. We're just gonna we're just gonna talk. So I'm here with Roy. Uh, Roy is our site pastor uh, for our Green Trails location. And something that I don't think a lot of people know about our process is that when our pastors preach live on a weekend, we get together and we actually prep the message together. Uh, we spend time looking at the passage, just having a conversation, honestly, kind of like this, and then we come up with like our manuscript. So. Um, Roy, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Um, yep. So we're just gonna we are talking about Exodus thirty two, um, probably the low point in the whole book. Um, it's it's one of these moments where there is an epic failure. Yeah. Uh, right. The Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They've been brought to Sinai. God has given them His commands. Moses is up on the mountain now receiving the additional laws and instructions about the tabernacle so that God can like dwell in their midst. And while he's up there, Exodus 32 happens mm -hmm. where we learn that the people have decided to create uh, an idol of some kind. They tell Aaron, hey, we don't know what happened to Moses. He's probably toast. He's been gone a long time. Make us gods who are going to go before us. They make this golden calf. And they start to have a little feast day festival party. And we learn that Moses comes down the mountain. Mm -hmm. He sees what's going on, knows that the people have blown it. He breaks the tablets as a way of like sign of breaking the covenant. Mm -hmm. And uh, he lets them know they have sinned. Yeah. And actually God is, God is angry with them because yeah. they violated his law. So it's, it's kind of a low point yeah. in the story. It's a very famous story. Um, so I wanted to know, Roy, as we were working through this text together, and as we were reading it and riffing on it as pastors, what was something that, as you read through it this time, you were like, I, I didn't notice that before, or you read it in a different way? Yeah. Um, I, and I will say to what you were saying is that I love, I love this aspect of Trinity where we do, like we gather together and we just go through the text and we read through it and just share all these different perspectives, things that come to mind and, uh, and yeah, it's just such a great time of us getting together. And then what comes out of it is this manuscript that is really, you know, in different kind of flavors with, with who's speaking, but it's the same messaging across all of our sites. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful, it's a really cool thing. I love that. I love that we do that here. I love it when God, where is it where he looks down at Moses, essentially, and he's like, hey, you need to, like, you got to go down there. Mm -hmm. Like, you got to go, you got to go see where your people are doing and I don't know in my mind that's kind of how I feel the narrative goes like they're over here God is with Moses and they're having this intense conversation he's given him instruction he's been there for some time right yeah and uh and the scriptures say that God knows what the people are doing obviously and then finally I think once the feast is about to happen God's like yo like you I need to go down there this is getting nuts yeah. And um and that for me just kind of that that narrative that play of of how it happened is is just really intriguing for me. Mm -hmm. Um and then 
I do really try, and we talked about this, I do really try to give the benefit of the doubt um, because I just feel like it's so easy for us thousands of years removed um, and then having Christ now, you know, and understanding that. Yeah. Um, to go back and say, man, the Israelites, what? They're doing it again. Or like, it's so easy for us to read the narrative um, that is like from chapter to chapter. When for them, it was like weeks and months and years and decades and generations. To us, it's just a few, it could be just a few chapters to be like, man, they're doing it again. And so, um, yeah, just kind of hoping that the benefit of the doubt for them was more uh, pure, I guess, in the yeah. sense of like, you know, what do we do now? Like Moses isn't, isn't here. I, we don't know if he's coming back. Um, we don't know if he's dead or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know, just kind of reading into the text a little bit of like, surely they didn't mean to do this. <laughs> but then when you read the text, it's like, Maybe they did. Yeah. Know yeah. what they and, were doing. And that came out in our conversation yeah. a ton. Like, I remember we were like, well, let's go back and see, like, did they just not know? And the more we read, like, what happened before Moses left them and went yeah. up the mountain, the more we're just like, oh, no, they knew. Yeah. You know, and, and so you, then you're just kind of like, so what was going through their head? Yeah. You know, what is it that they were actually thinking when they did this? And I think that that's where, at least for me, a lot of light bulbs went off this time. Yeah. As we talked about it, because there's so much in here that we miss in kind of our English translations. And so right. then we really started to dig into it. We're just like, it, it puts a whole different like spin on it. Mm -hmm. Like usually we we preach this text and we're like, oh, this is why we don't make idols. Idols is when we replace God with something else. And there's certainly yeah. stories in the Bible about that. Right. But that's not what's happening here. Yeah. Because um, really the word when they say make us gods, it is a plural word in Hebrew, but it's a plural word that can actually be used for a singular being. Mm -hmm. It's the word Elohim. Mm -hmm. And it's the word that actually it's the generic name for God yeah. in the in the Bible, actually. At several points, he's just referred to as Elohim. So right. basically what they're saying is they're saying, we want God to be more visible for us. Uh, we want him to be visible in a way that we can understand. And the more you look at it, the more you start to realize when they build the calf, we want him almost to be um, on our terms, right? Right, Because in the ancient world, this image of a calf, or really it's, it means young bull, was, wasn't so much to represent the deity himself. It was like his, uh, it was his ride. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so they would build this and the idea was that the, the deity would ride on this thing. It was a yeah. sign of his strength. And so in some ways it's almost like, we don't know what happened to Moses, but we know we're supposed to go to the promised land. Let's get Yahweh to come down here, get on his ride and let's go. Mm. And then really their crime was almost like, domesticating God. Yeah. Like they've seen this huge God who descends on the mountain in fire and in smoke and has done these crazy things. And I'm like, all right, now we need him to be just a little bit more manageable. Yeah. And that that really is what's going on in this text. And I, I guess I hadn't looked at it that way before. Yeah. Um, and so I think at, at some point you're kind of like, okay, I can understand how maybe they're like, um, is Moses even coming back? How are we going to go forward? But yeah. then the way they approach God from there, that's really where the problem begins is they basically are like, let's put God in a box. Mm -hmm. Let's let's have God on our terms. Yeah. And that was that was new for me. Yeah, yeah. When you explain that that process or that 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 A and E kind of thinking of kind of placing God on the calf, I mean it, it and it makes us think 
in our own lives how we also do that, you know, how we also fall prey to, um, because one of the commentators mentioned that, you know, what the Israelites had done was what was spoken of them to do, like mm -hmm. to have a feast and, you know, to do, to build an altar. And so they're doing these things in a way, mm -hmm. um, but they're, like you said, they're doing it in their own terms. They're doing it really apart from the instruction of God. Um, but if you, if you wanted to try to um, give yourself some liberty and freedom, they, they could have said, well, we were just doing what you told us to do. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, well, no, but you weren't. And, and we do that so much, right? Like in taking t uh, scriptures out of context and kind of forcing it to mean something that was never the intention of the scripture. But we're like, oh, but it's written right here. This is you can read it. This oh yeah, it, it says, says that. It says that right it there. It says it, and yeah. it's like, you know, good and well that that's not the intention. Um, mm -hmm. But then you force yourself to even believe it, um, so that it becomes biblical truth for you. Yeah. When it was never that was never the intention of scripture, and so much so of of, of what what they were doing here yeah. is is trying to force God in in their box, you know, for. Him to mean and do what their will is, you know, rather than his will for, for them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really funny because Aaron even says, now we're going to have a feast day to Yahweh. And yeah. She uses the covenant oh, yeah. name. And so yeah. for me, I was like, it's so interesting because they're still being religious Israelites, mm -hmm. but they're being religious on their own terms. Mm -hmm. They're using religion for their own ends. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we see examples of that all the time. Right? Yeah. And, and we're guilty of that too. And I think that that's where... I certainly can see myself. I can certainly see modern day church mm -hmm. and Christians sometimes doing that. Mm -hmm. And this is really a reminder to be like, am I yeah. really attending to God and to his heart and his agenda? Yeah. Or am I simply trying to get him to fit into my framework? Yeah. And, um, and that really is kind of the difference between Moses and Aaron, right? Aaron's like, oh yeah, let's make him fit. You guys want me to do that? I'll do that. Moses, we see in the whole, this was the other surprising thing, is Moses actually like debates with God. And he's just yeah. like, hey, I know your heart. Your heart is to use this people to bless the nations. Yeah. So don't destroy them. And, yeah. and God's like, you're right. You do know my heart. Yeah. And, and I do love that, that mm. Moses is so different from Aaron in the sense that he doesn't try to put God in a box. What he does is he clings to God's promises. Mm -hmm. He clings to what God Himself said yeah. about Himself yeah. and what He wanted. And I think that that's—I guess—we see some character development in Moses too, right? Yeah. Because before he was just like, "Ah, oh, why yeah. these people again?" Yeah. But here we actually see him like interceding for them. Yeah. But all doing so by appealing to God's heart yeah. and God's promises, and yeah. it's just such a different thing for him yeah. and for his character. Yeah, it's just so much of um, in the drama of the narrative of God you know, telling Moses, I got to, we got to start over mm -hmm. like with you, Moses, but we got to, we got to start over. I got to, everybody's got to go. And at that point, you know, just Moses just pleading and interceding for yeah. the people and just saying, God, like show the mercy, you know, and, and the grace and, um, and don't do that, like begging him not to do that. And it's so interesting because for Aaron, he is, like anything else, like when we get, when we get found out, you know, for, for doing something that we weren't supposed to do, we're going to try to survive. It's, it's part of our survival instinct as human beings. And I think it, it, it happened since the fall. Cause I, 
I believe that before the fall, right, we were going to live on for eternity. Otherwise, why would Jesus have, you know, overcame death, hell, and the grave? And so um, now since the fall, we have these survival instincts to mm -hmm. keep us going. And part of that too is our defense mechanisms. I got to survive. I got to protect myself. And so Aaron's crazy narrative, right, of, I don't know, they just like threw their jewelry at me and then went into a furnace and somehow it out came this, I don't know, golden cat. This is really weird. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> and it's just like, come on, dude. Like, that's the dumbest. I think it's probably, I, I said it when we were having our conversation, this story contains probably the best excuse and the best object lesson in the whole Bible. Yeah. Because Aaron's excuse to Moses really is a laugh out loud moment. Moses yeah. is like, what did you do? And he's like, I don't know. They don't wanted know. these gods. And I just took some gold and threw it in the fire and out popped this cat. Yeah, and you're so like, weird. <laughs> so weird. It's just like, it's just like, that's so dumb. Yeah. But but how many times have, have we been caught, right? Yeah. And, and we try to come up with excuses. And then the object lesson that I just love is that Moses takes the calf, grinds it to Ooh, dust, yeah. puts it on the water, and then makes the Israelites drink it. Yeah. Like, hey, this is all that your religion is going to get you is you're going to poo it out. Yep, yep. You're gonna <laughs> it's have... going to go into your body and it's going to come out the other yep. end because that's all this is worth. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so, like, this is what I love about the Bible is the Bible, it, it's not like this neat, tidy book. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a real story yeah. about real people in real situations, even in the dumb ones, yeah. even in the big mistakes. Yeah. And it doesn't sugarcoat that. Yeah. And yet, in through the story, we still see the mercy of God. Yeah. And the patience of God, and we see growth in Moses. Yeah. Moses, um, learning what it means to be mm -hmm. an intercessor. Now we know he's not perfect. Yeah. Certainly later on in the stories, you know, you get into the rest of the Pentateuch, he has his own failing moment. Yeah. But to see growth in him, yeah. a greater understanding of God's character, greater yeah. understanding of his role as a leader and as a shepherd for these people. I mean, mm -hmm. Aaron, Aaron and Moses are almost like these, these, uh, these contrasts, right? You have, mm -hmm. they're both called to leadership and leading the people. Aaron gives the people what they want to their destruction. Yeah. Moses refuses to give the people what they what they want, and yet intercedes for them. Right. And um, and what a great I think just for us as pastors as we think about leadership, there's going to be a lot of situations in which people are going to ask you to do things that you know you can't do with yeah. integrity. Yeah. And you're going to have to do make the hard decisions sometimes that I think are going to be difficult to follow. Mm -hmm. And and yet. God tells you, this is what you got to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, and I, that's probably good for anybody in Christian leadership, right? To yeah. just think about like, what am I really listening to? Am I listening to what God's word has told me to do? Mm -hmm. Am I doing the best that I can? Yeah. Um, and not just caving to popular opinion. Right. Um, because Aaron does it. Yeah. And <laughs> and we get Exodus 32. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, um, you know, as, as like the storyline and, and the narrative continues, Again, there's just so much in this text of, you know, disobeying God, going against the commands, and um, and then seeing this intercession from a pastor, mm -hmm. and then um, his plea to God on their behalf, and but before that, you know, God God saying like we're gonna I'm gonna just remove all the people, and then you get that intercession, 
And then what's interesting is that we also see God's judgment and his like wrath, but then his incredible grace yeah. as well. Like it kind of ends with this grace because he they continue on their journey, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I wonder too if you can kind of speak to for us um, while, you know, in the text, God was going to get rid of all of the people. Yeah. Um, then we, he says that judgment is still going to happen, Moses. Like, I'm still going to, to judge the people that yeah. sinned against me. Um, and then it went from being however many tens of thousands or however many were there to the three. Yeah. Um, can you help us? Yeah, just kind of in our Western context, understand how um, how we can sit with that still. Yeah, we had a we had a good discussion about yeah. that. I feel because yeah. that is one of those things where we read this. You know, Moses comes down and he basically says, "If anybody is on Yahweh's side, come to me." Mm-hmm. Tribe of Levi comes. Yeah, and they did. They then end up killing three thousand men. Yeah, you know that day, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then God even visits a plague on the people because of what they did. Yeah. And you're sitting there and you're like, this is, this is terrible. Why, yeah. why would God do that? But I do think you have to look at, you have to go back to that original ancient Near Eastern context. Mm-hmm. They lived in a very collectivist culture. We live in a very individualistic culture. Mm-hmm. Collectivist culture says uh, the good of the community is what's supreme yeah. for them. For us, it's the good of the individual. Right. You know, but for them, it was, it was the good of the community. And when you consider that what we read earlier in Exodus, it says like 600,000 men came out of Egypt, plus their families. We're talking about a people group of probably over a million people. Yeah. You know, this is a big group of people. Yeah. So when you put it in that perspective, 3,000 is actually a very small number. Yeah. And the fact that God goes from, I'm just going to wipe them all out because they're mm. all guilty. Yeah. They're all guilty. Yeah. To just these 3,000. And there's a plague and more people die, but the vast majority of the community is saved. I think what we see there is we see God in some ways doing what's needed to contain the wickedness from breaking out further. Mm -hmm. Um, He does what's needed to put some boundaries into place so that it doesn't shortchange his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is through this people to bring blessing to all nations. Mm -hmm. You know, the ultimate goal is, as we know, through the biblical narrative is Jesus, right? He's going to come through Abraham's line. So you see God saying, all right, and it, it really in many ways, it's God's restraint in the midst of a very messy situation. Mm-hmm. He does what he needs to do to preserve the community, to protect the community so that his purposes move forward. And so he can't allow the ringleaders to continue. Yeah, He can't allow the leaders to continue to influence the people in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And so you see him putting those restraints in. So again, I think the way we have to read it is, is by going back in that context. Again, we tend to be like, it's all about the individual. Mm-hmm. But for them, it's like, no, it's about the good of the whole community. Right. And when you've got individuals who are leading the whole community astray, you have to deal with that. Yeah. There have to be boundaries in place. Yeah, it's still hard to read. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. like this is terrible. But at the same time, it could have been so much worse. Right. And honestly, they deserved for it to be so much worse. Yeah. And yet God, I, there's a there's a passage in Ezekiel where God actually says, he says, uh, I don't delight in punishing the wicked. Yeah. I would rather that they repented and turned from doing evil. Yeah. But God also then goes on to say, but if they don't, I will punish them. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to stop the wickedness from continuing. Right. Because I know that if it doesn't, 
there's going to be more people who are going to be harmed. Mm -hmm. There's going to be greater causes which are going to be destroyed. Yeah. And so you see him taking action in those ways. Um, even among his own people, he doesn't show favorites. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's important to note, like thinking back to the plague narratives. Yeah. Uh, John Walton, I think, said it really well. He says, you know, we're always just like this. When, when we see corruption and injustice and bad things happening, we're like, why doesn't God do something about it? And then when he yeah. comes in with plagues, we're like, why did he do that? Yeah. It's just like, well, he's, he's doing exactly what you wanted. He's restraining the wickedness and the evil from breaking yeah. out. And that not only applied to Egypt, it applied to his own people. When they were becoming more like the Egyptians, yeah. the very people that God says, I don't want you to be like that, mm -hmm. he steps in and stops it from taking place. Yeah. And so I think that that's really important when we read this. Like I said, it doesn't make it easy to read, right. but at least we start to understand what's going on in the text. Right. And in the very next chapter, which we'll get into, God makes very clear, actually, that his primary desire is to forgive, mm -hmm. that he is patient, that he is long-suffering, yeah. that he does delight in giving grace and mercy to people. And certainly his love for the people of Israel, despite their numerous, numerous, numerous failings, this is certainly yeah. not the last one. Yeah. He's still faithful to them. Right. So I think that that's important. Yeah. And and that's why, you know, I'd mentioned it. it's so beautiful how this one chapter just has so many different aspects because then you do get the judgment yeah you get you know the killing of the three thousand and you're still going to get the plague yeah but then how right at the end yeah he goes on and he talks about how they're going to continue on and they're going to be able to to see the, the promise fulfilled yeah he tells them, I, yeah. I, I will go with you. Yeah. I think he actually says it even earlier, even before the that little judgment yeah. uh, happens. He actually says, "I okay, I, I will go ahead of you. Yeah. Um, I, I will uh, continue to be faithful uh, yeah. to my promises. And yeah. so I think it's it's beautiful. It just shows that that God is still going to go with his people. Yeah. yeah he, we're here. Let's just get the verse. Um, he says, verse 34, but now mm -hmm. go. Lead the people to the place about which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. So even there, even in the midst of mm. restraining the wickedness, there's still words of presence and promise. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful and protection. Thing. And protection. Yeah. You know, so um, for the sake of, uh, before we wrap it up mm -hmm. for this week, I would just love to hear from you. What is one thing you hope people get out of this portion of the story? I hope that we see ourselves in our natural inclination to want to put God in a box mm -hmm. and have him want to fulfill the desires of our own heart. Um, see just the hum humanity in that mm -hmm. um, and, and then realize that that's not um, God's best. Like his best is for us to desire his best for us mm -hmm. and to let God be God. Mm -hmm. and to trust in him and his process and his words. And as we walk in step with him, as we walk in step with his word, as we walk in step with his spirit, that's when we'll really be living the blessed life that he's called us to live. Yeah. So that, that's what I hope we see in this narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I would, yeah. I would totally agree with that. I think if I were to, to add, a, add another piece to it, I think the other thing I would hope people learn is... is um, is kind of the lesson that we see Moses starting to learn. Mm -hmm. What is God's heart? Mm -hmm. You know, um, that when we get God's heart, we're, we're going to start to do exactly what you said. We're mm -hmm. going to desire his best for right. us, not 
what we would settle for. Yeah. And so I would hope that people start to understand the heart of God. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, thanks for taking some time to uh, riff on scripture with yeah. me. And, thanks uh, for the invite. Yeah, of course. I hope, uh, hope this is something that people can continue to take with them throughout the week and continue to uh, meditate on as we keep moving through the book of Exodus. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.